0: To another episode of Stoke Meter. And I am, for the lack of a better word, humbled to have Marla Smith Nielsen on the line here. Um, Marla is the founder of something called waterfirst.org. And if you don't know much about that, I hope you folks study this thing because it is amazing what uh, Marla and her team are doing to bring clean water in not all over the globe. It's amazing to go see this, this website, but I'm I know that I'll, I should let her talk about it. So welcome, Marla. Please introduce yourself and there's a there's a history here with with cards here too. So anyway, well, turn the time over to you.
1: Hi, well, thank you. Um, so I'm Marla. You know that. I'm uh, the founder and executive director of Water First, and we work. Uh, in communities all over the globe—Asia, um, Africa, Latin America—to help um, communities build and maintain their own water systems and sanitation systems, so that they they can be healthier um, and they can have more productive lives.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And Karch, I got it. How did how did we? get to have Marla here.
2: Well, I I think that's, personally, that's where the real story's at, and that's the part that interests me. So we both grew up in a really small town, um, Benson, Arizona. We went through, it was back in the day when you kind of stay in the same spot, and we went from, were you in, did you start school at kindergarten? I think you did, right? Yeah, we we were literally K through 12 in this podunk little town. Our graduating class was, I think, 86, 87 people. And uh, it was, I'll tell you, it was very apparent in kindergarten that Marla was going to excel and we were all just going to kind of follow. She was our valedictorian for our class. Um, I was pretty much sampling glue and paste and she was <laughs> coloring in the lines. So <laughs> it was kind of that deal. And so for me, you know, I, I've, I've watched what Marla has done with Water First International. Um, we kind of reconnected just kind of over Facebook a little bit back in 2009 when I was doing some volunteer work in Nicaragua. and uh, But I'm always interested in how people get from, you know, when we graduated in high school and we were all excited and going to change the world, and some of us actually did it. Marla is one of those. Tell us what happened after high school. Where did you go? What did you do? How do you go from being the – the coach's uh, daughter and the English teacher's daughter in a small town to what you've accomplished.
1: Um, well, it, I mean, it, it does start with our, our little town. I I learned so much there and I cherish our growing up experience. I think we had a really unique experience and that we all knew each other. Like, yep. I mean, talk about having 87 classmates and <laughs> (laughs) I think I could still tell you where every single one of them lived. Like I could drive through town and point to all their houses. We, we knew each other. And I, there's something about not being anonymous, you know, where you're responsible to one another. So I think I learned about community, Mm -hmm. you know, we had our, we had our church community. I was a member of the Presbyterian church across the street from our house. Um, But there was the larger community, the school and the whole town. I mean, we grew up in a town where everybody came to the football games. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know? So, you know, I, I think if something happened to somebody in the town, you would want to pitch in and help. Um, you know, if somebody, if if there was a tragedy with somebody's house burned down, you know, a, a parent was sick, like we all knew about it and we all helped. So I think, you know, you have to understand that about us to know that's how we were raised. If you saw a problem, you know, that was your problem too. If it was your neighbor's problem, it was your problem too. And so you helped. So I think I loved that. I loved pitching in. I loved our our little community. So, and the other thing about growing up in a small town in a desert (laughs) is that (laughs) you appreciate water. You know, water is something that you think about, you don't you know if you're going to go on a long road trip back in a time before there were cell phones you had water in the car with you just in case you know your crappy car which I had a crappy car broke down so and <laughs> i think you're also just raised with this awareness that water is water is really important and and to be without it is deadly um and then the other thing is that we we grew up Close to Mexico, so my family had a, um, a bass tracker fishing boat, and we often. T- <laughs> All right, you know what that is. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so we we often took it just across the border. It was about maybe a four hour drive. There was a lake. I think the town was called Hermosillo, um, but I could have that wrong. And we used to camp and fish on this lake. And so that was really my first experience um, seeing people who didn't have water at their homes, mm-hmm. because there were um, girls would come to this lake, girls who lived in the area would come to this lake. While we're you know we're fishing, we're water skiing, um, and they're walking to this lake and collecting containers of water and carrying it home. So that stuck with me. Um, mm. So I, I mean all those things I think contribute to to what I'm doing now and, and how you know I believe the world should work. Um I, I never ever sat out to, you know, I didn't say to myself when I was 18, I'm going to start a nonprofit organization. I just it just evolved slowly over time. And um so I went to the University of Arizona. Um, I got a degree in civil engineering. Because I, I read through literally the entire University of Arizona course catalog. And I was like, <laughs> piped water systems. Like, I, I just thought, yeah, I, I think I want to do that. Yeah. You know, thinking back to my growing up experience and these girls I had seen in Mexico, um, I still really didn't know what engineers did. Um, but I, I got this degree and... Um, Continue to study water systems. I, I had an opportunity to do some research in Honduras. And I think that was really where I got the idea about starting a nonprofit organization because I actually went to communities where they needed water, um, came home from my first Honduras trip, and thought, I'll just raise money for this one community. Um, it was really fun. I really enjoyed talking to people about. About what I had seen and motivating them to to give to one specific project so that just kept going um, that was in 1992 and I'm still doing it
0: now 1992. <laughs> well, I, you know I've got a ton of questions I've, I've read about yeah I saw your TED talk and it qualifies as way stoked <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why is you, you said a couple of things there's a we have some we have some, I have some close African friends uh, here in town, and it's one of the things they said, at least, and this is from a religious context, and they said, you know what, what I loved about coming to church is that it felt like a tribe. It felt like we were all together. We can, it, was, it was something that we could share, and we shared, it, I felt a sense of belonging. And so that really resonated with me when you, were, when you were saying that. But also speaking with them, it's amazing how many things I take for granted on a day-to-day basis. And some of the things that you were speaking about in the TED Talk, when people are walking four, four hours away to get water, I mean, for it's water. I complain if I have cold water instead of hot water. And it just made me feel so foolish because of all the things that, that I take for granted on a day-to-day basis. And just to understand where this water supply comes from, uh, from a very... Uh, non-sanitary place and the one that was very touching to me is you're talking about Mari I think it was her Mm -hmm. her name and she had the daughter that died of dysentery from the water that she had to go back and forth from and it's amazing to see what, what you have done and this the funny thing is I saw all the accolades on the on the site there and you didn't go about getting one of those accolades as much as you w- went out to make a difference. And uh, it, it was so cool to see how it started that snowball effect. And so here you are, University of Arizona, I really wish you would have went to
2: Arizona State. Anyway, be <laughs> <not a point>. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that's
0: beside where, the
2: point. That's where Maurice I'm and over. I met, was at yeah, Arizona that's State.
0: Where, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm a devil. <laughs> but, but with that being said, well, and, and talking about water, it's 100 degrees here uh, today and our AC isn't there. So I'm always, I'm already thinking about water right now. Well,
2: and just so you know, yeah, my AC kicked off here too. So if I wipe my face, it's because I'm putting like a pig. But, but I, I, you said something, Marla, that, that kind of touched me a little bit. And again, I think it's probably because of our common connection. But growing up like we did was, again, especially for your trajectory and where you ended up going and the things that you you started and now you know are continuing to do you know just that perspective of where we all kind of ended up together like geographically like you said having mexico so close and i don't want to get any you know be controversial but i remember um there was a, an elderly man down in Cascabell, a hispanic gentleman that was he was an old old guy and he would work all year long and then hike all the way down the San Pedro River back to Mexico to give money and support to his family. I mean, you just see some of these sacrifices that puts these things into perspective. You know what I mean? And then, you know, you were talking about, like even your TED talk, I, I was watching that and I was thinking back to, to our little community. And the funny thing was, is I know where everybody lived, but I, you, I couldn't remember what kind of car they drove. You know, we didn't come from a community of Mercedes Benz and, and BMWs or anything like that. So I just think I'm, I'm so glad that, that you were put in the right spot, the right time and the right place for all those elements to come together to where you were able to, to do what, you, what you're doing. My question is, is, since I know your family, you come from a family of educators, you don't come from a family of businessmen, how do you go from like, I've got this idea to building what you did that yeah. couldn't have been easy that wasn't your background
1: yes <laughs> um maybe we'd be bigger if I had had a different background I don't know <laughs> I mean I I think in in some way I mean in a lot of ways my background benefited me you know coming from um teachers you you know, you're really committed to empowering others. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what teachers do. They, they, you know, empower their classrooms every single day without expecting anything in return. Uh, you know, they're, they're not at the center. Their students are at the center. So I was raised with, with that perspective and that expectation that this isn't about me. Um, it's about, you know, it's about everyone else and how I can be, you know, part of the team, um, how I can play my role. So, you know, I think that benefited me a lot actually, because it's, it's really hard work, uh, to, to run a nonprofit organization oh, yes. oh, and yeah. I had expectations to be, I don't know, to be rewarded for that. Um, then I would, I would have probably quit by now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how to say it. Like, I, I don't want to say that it's, that I'm not appreciated because I'm just not in it for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm in it for, I'm in it for the impact. Um, and I don't even, I'm in it for the <laughs> long act uh, of other people. It, it just has nothing to do with me. So, um, so I think I was definitely raised by the the right people to have that perspective, and I think also being an engineer, I'm very I'm a problem solver, um, and I can I can break up these giant problems. And when you take a problem like this that it impacts literally half the world's population, it it would be easy to be overwhelmed by that but I think you know, my, my brain kind of breaks it up into pieces and I think about what I can do, where I fit in and what skills I can bring. So um, while I might not have the business background, I definitely had the problem solving background. Um, so there are a lot of things about our organization that are apparent to me now um, that show that we, are, we were founded and run by an engineer. <laughs>
0: but but it has has personal elements though to it as well again when you were I, i i've only met you today but what i'm reading about you is it is just fascinating and you bring up something that we could go anywhere you have a consumer reports on cars on shoes and all that good stuff there but nothing on water stuff something that is so basic to essentials of life And then you you were talking about the disconnect about the funds that are coming in to help in those endeavors. And I'm just wondering, what can you tell us about how you have made that connection so that people start to see where the real impact is?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, that's part of maybe what the engineer brings to all of this. (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, there's no way that one person or one organization can solve this problem. So I was really trying to get at why, why are we still trying to solve this problem? You know, why have we solved it in the United States and Western Europe? And why does it still exist in so many other places? And I mean, a major issue is that the the work that's being done by a lot of well-meaning people largely fails. About half of the projects that are, that are implemented, water projects that are implemented will stop functioning pretty quickly too, within like two to five years. So all of that, all of that hard work, all that investment um, is just wasted. And, and so, you know, I, I really wanted to do a better job than that. I thought if we're going to if we're going to invest in this, we want a solution that lasts. Um, so what I, what I saw very early on was that when you make an investment that actually solves the problem, mm-hmm. um, which to me is a higher quality solution where water is piped all the way to somebody's household, similar to what you and I have, right? Um, that those solutions Although they're more expensive upfront, they take longer to build, they last longer. So the payoff is, it works out. The payoff is, is much better. If you can invest once um, in a water system that can be maintained in perpetuity by a community that never fails, obviously that is a better investment than something that might only last for five years. So, um, and that's what the TED Talk was about. I, I think that, you know, if, if donors to water systems had a consumer reports where they could find organizations that were doing it right, uh, we would get to the solution for everyone much quicker. Um, I, that just doesn't exist. So um, that's one of the things that we're trying to figure out with Water First, how we can make you know, that kind of impact information available to donors so that they can make good choices. Because I think every person out there who gives to a a charity wants to know that they're, that they're actually doing the work that they say they're doing. So um, we would like to see that happen with water.
2: Oh, for sure. So I'm going to, I'm going to turn that right about right back on you. So how does that happen? (laughs) I mean, I I know this is something that you've thought about and you probably have some pretty good ideas. You talk about, you mean, like a third party or, you know, something like that. What would be the the one thing that if you could put into place would make the biggest impact?
1: You know, I, you know, after thinking about, I mean, this particular uh, problem, I've been thinking about this for 10 years now. so it's not enough to just create this third party system. There has to be an incentive for organizations to get kind of an independent evaluation of their work. So that incentive doesn't exist in it, And it's money. I, I think, um, it, it wouldn't take a whole lot of money in the grand scheme of things, but I, I think if a major donor would say, I'm going to offer a million dollars, um, to an organization that that rates, you know, at a certain level on this independent evaluation, that would get the attention of a lot of organizations that do the work that the same kind of work that we do. And I think that would start to shift things where donors were actually requiring this kind of independent evaluation before they gave their funding.
0: That makes sense. I wouldn't want
2: to yeah, that. Even ahead. when, yeah, when you were talking about that, the, you know, one of the things that kind of, you know, I, I was thinking about is, you know, almost, you don't even have to have someone to go out there and inspect everything that's done, is even if you had an organization where, even if it wasn't mandatory, but an organization where, you know, people could submit what they're doing, they're, they're open with their records, they show what the, what, where, where people's monies go and that type of thing it almost sounds like something like that could gain critical mass fairly quickly once it was put into place. You know what I mean?
1: I think it could. And I, I think partly it's if it's the right donor or the right, you know, spokesperson. So, I mean, it's something that we continue to talk about with anyone who wants to hear about it um, because somebody's going to think it's a good idea because uh, it is a good idea. And And it's been proven to work in other sectors. I mean, we have, you know, fair trade organizations there. You know, there are other examples like that where industries have sort of self-regulated in order to to show that they're doing something different or better from other other organizations and companies within that industry. So, um, you know, I'm not suggesting anything that's. new or innovative, it's just not being done for water.
2: So outside of your industry, who's doing it right? Can you think um, of like, if you had to plug a model from some other industry that kind of has that oversight or that in place, who's doing it right?
1: You know, you I, think the people that I've interviewed, um, as we were gathering data on, on implementing this kind of a system where people who are working on like fair trade coffee, fair trade chocolate. So those are are organizations that you know want to have a standard for what is fair trade on their brands, mm-hmm. um, but it's not required by anybody. there's no law that says exactly. do it. It's it's an independent evaluation. Um, the accounting industry has. An independent evaluation um, model. So, you know, anybody who's a CPA and does and is an auditor, that that is governed by an independent authority that kind of sets what those standards are. So, um, it, you know, I think probably almost every industry out there has this kind of model. It, it just doesn't exist in the nonprofit.
2: <laughs> and isn't it interesting that that exists for chocolate and coffee, but. Yeah, the <laughs> most
1: important things. Yeah,
2: the they generate
0: revenue. That's why, doggone it. <laughs> we got to change well, that.
1: <laughs> I mean, what's, you know, I think non-profit, there are a lot of independent evaluations of nonprofits, but in my opinion, they focus on the wrong thing. Um, they tend to focus on just what overhead spending.
2: Yeah.
1: But they're not focused on, on the rest of the spending and the impact that that spending has. And I think that that's really where donors need to have more information.
2: Yeah. Is the, is the dollar going to its highest use basically.
0: Mm -hmm. Now speaking of highest use, I'm going to pivot a little bit here. Just you, you talked about Mari and her, the impact that water clean water has had on her family. Matter of fact, it's had a, it's had a, a tremendous impact <laughs> and not only was it healthy water, but it led to where she didn't have to go four hours every day and it could be there for, for her family and the monies that would have been used on that. Just wondering what are some of the other success stories? Because you've been there for so, so many years and across the board, what other amazing stories have you seen and been a part of?
1: I mean, every, so we've now done projects in, 3500 different communities around the world and <laughs> 3500 35 oh. it's, it's a lot um, every single one of their stories is similar in that you know people start there before a project is done the women in this community because this is largely a problem that impacts women and girls they they are the the people who are generally tasked with the, the job of, of going to yeah. collect water. So they wake up, the first thing that they think about when they wake up in the morning is water. And where do I get this water? Um, you know, how far am I going to have to walk? So they they spend their days uh, with, you know, this arduous task. This is, water is really heavy, like it's physically really hard. It prevents them from participating in other activities like going to school or earning an income or just having rest time. So when a project is done, uh, the transformations are, are all over the place. There's the immediate. Um, It's pretty frequent that when we go to like a ribbon cutting ceremony, that the women will tell me how excited they are to be able to take a bath at their house.
0: Ah, it's so awesome. Yeah. I
1: mean, the the dignity, the privacy. Um, we all like to be clean, uh, so the you know the convenience. Yes.
0: <laughs> of
1: not having to walk to a river uh, to take a bath, they they have pride in the fact that their children are clean. This is really really important to. I think all parents, that their kids show up at school and um, they look clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, those are like the immediate things that I hear from people. The more long-term impacts I hear are from school teachers who say that children are more consistently coming to school, they're, they're learning more. Um, so even the kids that were able to come to school they might be a little bit sick because their water was dirty. Well, now they're not sick. So they're able to focus more. They're participating more. They're doing better in school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously there's huge long-term impacts with children being better educated. Um, You know, they, they tend to marry later. They, they tend to want to make sure that their own children are then educated. Um, They're, they're better participants in the community. I I think that politicians are a lot less likely to cheat the people who are in the communities where we've worked um, yes. because they have an education. Yes. So, and then obviously there's the long term impacts that I you know I told in the star story with Margie Mari Tujji that her family was spending money. They were taking out loans and selling oxen to pay for treatment of diarrhea. Uh, So when you, when you aren't having to do this and instead you're able to invest in your family's future that that pays off. So um, yeah, I I hear people talking about investments that they've made in starting a small business or about running for local political office. Uh, You know, it's hard to describe how transformative these projects are they literally impact every single second of somebody's
0: life
2: wow you, it, you may say that there's a massive ripple effect excuse the puns.
0: yes <laughs> no, it, it really is it really is you it just you just there there's something that all of us probably learned maslow's hierarchy of needs back in, in undergrad right and yeah. you take care of the physiological needs and everything else kind of takes care of itself because we don't have to worry about what we're eating, what we're what we're drinking, all that good stuff. And this is a testament to it. The, the things that you're doing are just amazing. I mean, I'm looking at this at a whole different. way. You know, I'm going to be preaching my kids tonight. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, well, but it's, it's, one it's, of the it's things, amazing. yeah, one of the things that I, you know, and just thinking about it and reminiscing back to when I was doing, like I said, some volunteer stuff down in Central America myself is. You know, you hear the numbers, you know, 3,000 plus and that type of stuff, but it really does come down to those personal interactions that really kind of puts things in, into focus. And I think that's what a lot of people, it's, it's so hard to convey that to people in a marketing campaign or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I saw that in the, in the small village down in Nicaragua where this lady who looked like she was probably 85 years old, was walking hours you know, and she couldn't have weighed more than 85 pounds, you know, just a tiny little thing, you know, and, and here it, it gives such perspective. And that's something that I, that I miss and I want to do more of is, you know, do more of that volunteer work and that type of stuff. But it's hard when you come back from something like that and your kid complains about carrying a gallon of milk from the car <laughs> to the kitchen, <laughs> you know, yes. Um, yes. it's, it's frustrating. It really puts things in perspective, I guess. One of the things too that I wish that we could do better as a society is give people avenues to be of service, to get out in the, in the community, find those people that need help. And, you know, and I don't know, I don't know. I'm just kind of went off the rails there a little bit, but.
0: <laughs> but it, you, uh, Marla, you inspired I, I it. Think you're,
1: I, I totally agree, Gary. I think, I, I think having perspective is something that, you know, it helps me to, it helps me to live my everyday life. You know, it, mm-hmm. I yell at my kids too, when they complain about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was telling my son something and he said, I know, I know at least I have a toilet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, they but just it's cannot, true. they cannot be spoiled. <laughs> it yeah. can, they, it's important for me that, that my kids understand this, but it makes my life better i think so many more things are sort of i don't know it i i realize that my some of the things that i think are problems aren't really problems oh, yeah. and I, I don't know i just find that perspective having that perspective really helpful to just being satisfied and you know with what with what things focusing more on what what i do have and how lucky i am to have it um and part of you know part of what we've done with with water first because i i want people to see how tra- i feel like i can't describe it enough i can't i can't describe enough how Mari Tuji's life has changed or all these different honduran grandmas who finally at age 80 don't have to carry water anymore and instead wow. wake up and say Like I can start my day with a cup of coffee instead of, you know, carrying 40 pounds of water on, on my head. So I've taken people everywhere. And I think it's, you know, for the people who are, are willing to make those trips and not everybody wants to travel to Honduras with me. um, It's life-changing. And because I think then, then it becomes personal. You know, I've I've met those people. I've seen with my own eyes that this is a transformative, foundational thing. That it it has to happen before these communities can achieve any other goals. They these are poor communities. They have a lot of needs, yeah. um, but they're never we're never ever going to make progress on any of those other things until they have water and toilets in their houses. So
0: true.
2: so true. So, just real so quick, true. Marla, um, if if people want to donate or help, I assume they go to your website. Probably the easiest way.
1: If yeah, go to our website. We have a donate button, like right at the top.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, it, then, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: That is. I know people want to feel like they're doing more than giving money, but I also don't want to dismiss how I mean that is the most important role that people with money can play in these projects. Um, so donating on our website is actually the best and highest use <laughs> for most of us <laughs> you know so I-, I guess and then
2: my next question on top of that is is what can people do in their local communities? Even if, you know, whether it's with water or anything else, what have you seen that is the best way to increase awareness or to help, or what, what can people do on their community level?
1: You know, I we have um, a youth program. So, you know, one of the ways that you can, if you want to just get involved and understand this problem more, um, one way is that your, your kids can join our youth boards. So we have youth boards for middle school and high school students. They're open to anybody anywhere. Um, It's because now we've learned how to do all this stuff online, which we're going to keep doing. You don't have to live in Seattle where I'm based now Mm -hmm. um, to be part of these programs. So it's, it's very easy um, for, for young people to get involved Mm -hmm. just to learn more about the issue and learn how they can be advocates. And I think for for adults, you can be advocate, an advocate for this issue in so many ways. I mean, you can um, post about it on your Facebook page. Just say, you know, I learned about this cause. Um, and I'd like for all my friends to learn about this cause. Um, you, you know, some people have raised awareness by, you know, giving up their birthday. And doing a fundraiser on their birthday that benefits Water First. Um, I like to say people should take what they love and turn it into water. So, yes. it, I mean, you can take almost anything that you love and, and turn it into a way to raise awareness or, or raise funds for this cause. And it all adds up. I don't want anybody ever to be to feel like this is a problem that's only going to get solved by the Bill Gates of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not true. We have we have 10,000 donors who give to us um, in amounts ranging from literally one dollar up to much higher amounts. But we need all of those funds added together to to make a difference.
0: You know, you you. You made me think of something here because I don't want to to end the show and that be the end of this. Um, I could I could foresee something. Hopefully, if you're agreeable to it, that when you're down in the community, let's have one of these interviews with people. It's actually affecting. And and see, I, I could tell you right now what I'm gonna be doing when we post this one. I'm gonna put every little educational thing from your waterfirst.org to the donate button to everything else, and then I'm gonna blast with the Facebook. So it'd be like a million, a million door knocks off the of social media. I mean, this is this is something that means a ton. And your passion about it and your commitment to it. Oh my goodness, it's inspiring. And I thank you for that. Well, thank
1: you. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, again, thanks for the time. And we're looking forward to having you again.